Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, and the pet experts are in the building. And it's time for the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on more compelling talk radio, 1320 WILS. Now, your hosts, Lee Cohen and Rick Preetz. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Pruce. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Lee. Are you ready to talk about pets? Oh, I always am, and we're going to talk about a little bit of what's been in the news, too, because our Ingham County Animal Control has been extremely busy and extremely productive and they have done some really cool stuff and frankly one of the nicest things that they did and i'm amazed by it is that they went down to new orleans and helped out after the hurricane it's amazing how these different organizations can just reach out to people all across the country, whether it's the power being out or a hurricane or these other things. But it's just amazing the way these groups help one another. It makes me wonder why we don't see things like that in other areas like in public safety or other things like that because bottom line is a lot of good things happen when people work together. Yeah, and I think uh, one thing that's kind of interesting um we uh, lived through Katrina, and uh, that was pretty devastating. But the the attention that got was pretty tremendous as well. Right. Uh, it was a pretty dramatic event. But for the lives of those people in the whole New Orleans, um, up the Mississippi uh, neighborhoods, whole, if you will. The, the Gulf Coast. Right. Um, their, their lives are very difficult as we're speaking right now because – you know, in many cases, their homes have been flooded out. Right. Um, they're not home yet. They're still finding, and, and yet up here in Michigan, um, honestly, there's ju- just not nearly as much conversation about that right. as you would normally think of. Well, the good news is Heidi and her deputy from Ingham County Animal Control packed up a truck with lots of supplies and lots of things so that they could go down there and help. And they spent close to a week down there and we'll hear all of the details from both of them about that, as well as uh, there were some stories about chickens uh, that went on this week that there's, there's prosecution that's tied to it. So they might not not be able to tell us everything, but it should be an interesting story. And uh, again, it just it, it's so incredible how things are changing in the world of pets and animals. Uh, and I'm sure you see it right at your store because whenever anyone needs one or wants one or needs what goes with it, they've got to come to you. Well, and the numbers through COVID have gone up, okay? Pet keeping is I guess at an all-time high, um, and that's just about all kinds of animals. Uh, people are home um, and needing companionship, and and uh, the pets came to the rescue. Uh, we're in we're in the cape, but uh, now it now it comes to you know making sure that we continue that and allow these pets to be 
the love pets that each one of them want to be. Well, another thing that they have to, that we have to change as far as the way people deal with it is we need to have a certain level of patience when it comes to thing. And when I say patience, I don't mean the people who need help at a doctor's office. I mean patience in terms of just the ability to stay calm in spite of the weight. Because to give you some statistics, a very interesting post from our friend Dr. Cotter over at Caring Animal Hospital that she put out, and it talked about the fact that just since 2018, there are only about 5,000 more veterinarians that there were uh, than at that time uh, today, but there were approximately 55,000 animals that were that were brought into people's New homes during yeah. that period. So you're looking at approximately a, a, just a huge number in terms of the, what the doctors would have to care for, like 1,100 animals that each of them would have to care for. That That's crazy. Is it any wonder you have to wait to get into the vet? Yeah, I think uh... – Hats off to the veterinarian community that has to rise to the occasion of that. Um, they have to come up with new systems. Uh, I know our veterinarian has. And there's the, you know, bring the animals, uh, be patient, be in the parking lot oftentimes, uh, depending on where we're at with COVID. Uh, but we just need as a public to just understand that it's a new new paradigm that we have to work through. And they sure do. But we're going to have a great conversation this morning. And so Heidi Williams right here on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. Message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash mmpets. Now, more of the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on more compelling talk radio, 1320 WILS. We're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And, Rick, we have with us on the line a returning guest. It's Heidi Williams, who is the director of Ingham County Animal Control. And we also have with us, and Dan, forgive me, I'm going to take a shot. It's Dan uh, Verhoogstraat, who works also with Heidi at the uh, Ingham County Animal Control. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, our pleasure to have you. Heidi, the first thing we want to talk about is not the usual thing that we talk about when you come on the show, because my understanding is that you didn't just decide to take a vacation this summer like everybody else does. You turned your vacation into a working vacation by going down to New Orleans and dealing with all of the aftermath of the hurricane. Tell me that's not so. No, that that is so. We were down there for um, about five days in total and then a couple of days travel time. We got an email from the National Animal Control Association um, saying that New Orleans desperately needed our help. And uh, they were putting a call out for certified animal control officers and equipment, vehicles to go down and help respond to animal-related welfare issues after Hurricane Ida. So we sent an email and they said, come on down. So we did. So you get there. Um, how did things live up to your expectations? I'll let Dan answer that. Uh, well, the city was hit hard. Um, New Orleans uh, has had difficulty, as most people know, getting hit with uh, hurricanes every season. Uh, but Ida really took a toll. Um, 
the city had about 50% of the power restored. Uh, there's significant structural damages to a lot of uh, residences. Um, they're, they're really, they were really struggling. Actually, the, the power had just got uh, restored to the Louisiana CCA building uh, the day the day that we got there. Uh, it was restored earlier that morning. So they didn't know how they were going to get uh, food and water to the animals, and uh, they were they were in bad shape, and they were just getting their feet back under them when when we walked in the door. So um, the the need for assistance uh, was and, and remains real down there. What kind of uh, force showed up? There were um, various groups, um, Missouri Humane Society, Connecticut Humane Society, Michigan Humane Society. Um, we went, Jackson County Animal Control had sent a team down the week before we went. Um, and then throughout um, the week, you know, just different units were showing up to help. Houston Humane um, Society showed up the day before we left um, and told there's a couple of teams from Salt Lake City that are coming in the next week or so. Um, yeah, there, this isn't something that, you know, we go for a week and we, we help and then everything's fixed and everything's back to right, normal. And right. it's going to be months, months, months of, uh, resources that they need down there. You know, on top of it, guys, the, uh, the city of New Orleans cut their budget by $600,000 back in, I think, February or March of this year. And it forced, um, the Louisiana SPCA to lay off 28 positions. Um, and those of us who work in animal welfare already, you know, know that positions are, are hard to come by with funding because there's not a lot of funding out there. So this really devastated them to the point where they had one animal control officer for the entire parish of Orleans, which is the city of New Orleans. Um, so she, she was working by herself. Um, she hadn't had a day off in over a month. Um, and she had been pretty much on call for uh, 24 hours a day. She was responding to calls at 2 o'clock in the morning and things like that. It was just, it was unlike anything we have ever experienced up here in Michigan. Yeah, for that one person that was left standing, so to speak, uh, what it takes to actually show up to work every day and continue to do that, there's zero chance they could have been paying enough for that act. So she must have <laughs> no, been quite close. quite the hero. Yeah, she really is an amazing person, uh, very dedicated and we were honored to be able to help them out. So on, on an average day, for which there is no such thing in the midst of uh, turmoil, but would uh, tell me what an officer would confront down in that particular battlefield, if you will. They get the same types of calls that, that we do in terms of uh, animal welfare, uh, dogs attacking animals, uh, people being bit by various animals. However, they have... Uh, they have an added uh, difficulty in that they're dealing with uh, poisonous snakes. Uh, they're dealing with alligators, uh, things that we typically don't uh, run into here in Michigan, thankfully. But they, they also have uh, a very difficult situation in that most of the houses in New Orleans are, are built off basically like a cinder block type structure. So the bottom of the houses are have two or three feet of open space. So there are animals actually living under the houses there. Uh, their officers have to go underneath these houses in uh, very dangerous conditions to get these animals out. And uh, to have one officer taking care of that for uh, the entire parish, is it's really something. Uh, that, that's not something that we normally have to deal with uh, here in Michigan and especially in Ingham County. So we, we're used to... Uh counties. Is a, a parish, I imagine, the equivalent? Yes, a parish is what Louisiana calls it. Size-wise? 
Yeah. Okay. All right. That gives us a picture of it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Heidi, one of the things I'm imagining is that a lot of people tried to get away before the hurricane hit, but they might not have been able to bring their animals with them. So I've got to imagine that there were a lot of strays that were floating around, literally, and as well as these, as you said, the alligators and the snakes and the other things that come in from the flooding. Was that the case? Yeah, so we were pretty fortunate when we got there. Most of the floodwaters had receded or had not affected the areas that we were patrolling. Um, I understand that the levee system for New Orleans held um, the levy system for some of the other parishes did not hold, but we did not operate out of the other parishes. We just operated out of New Orleans. So there wasn't a lot of flood water. Um, like Dan said, most of what we saw was structural damage, um, a lot of tree limbs down, a lot of power lines down. Um, roads had been kind of torn up in a few places, things like that. But, yes, there were a lot of stray animals wandering around, Um some people had not taken um, the necessary steps to make sure their animals were safe. They left them in their homes um, unattended, no food for a couple of weeks. Um, we pulled two dogs out of the house. The, call, the owner called to surrender them, and we went to pick them up and found two extremely emaciated pit bulls. And it was very evident that the owners had not um, provided anyone to care for these animals while they had evacuated. So mm. they'll be facing some neglect charges. Um, and on a side note, we have one of those pit bulls here at our shelter. Um, we brought her up on a, a life flight that greatergood.org and Michigan Humane organized. So we just picked her up from uh, Detroit last Saturday, and she's doing great. She's available for adoption. She's a sweet, sweet little girl. Wow. Uh, good going. And how many individuals from your establishment went down? Uh, just two, Dan and I. Just the two of you. Okay. Yeah. And what kind of provisions did you bring with you? We took everything with us because we had no idea what to expect. So um, we took cots, sleeping rolls. We took a portable toilet. We took MREs. We took pretty much everything to be self-sufficient. That's what they recommended. Um, so we packed our truck up. We took down a lot of donated food and litter, different pet supplies um, on one side of the truck. And then the other side of the truck had our personal gear um, because we didn't know if we'd be sleeping in the truck or sleeping in a tent, or we didn't we didn't really know. It turned out that the shelter, um, like Dan said, had gotten their power back that morning. So we were able to sleep in the shelter on cots in uh, cubicles. Um, they had shower facilities and running water, and they even had coffee. So I was very happy about that. <laughs> and uh, So it wasn't as bad as what we had thought when we got down there. But I tell you what, guys, I'm getting too old to sleep on a cot. No, I was just thinking of that exactly when you said that. I'm like, I don't know if I could even do that anymore. My body just, I would be like halfway through the night and saying, I give up. Where's the bed? Yeah. Yeah, that was about it. We were pretty tired when we got home. See, my response would be that I'm thinking about the one lady who's running the whole parish and thinking that, come on, buck up. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine her situation. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that came through their mind, which is why they actually stayed through the night. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Now, Heidi, when it comes to situations like this, uh, as you said, you don't expect them to return to normal for quite a period of time. 
what kind of system can they have in place to give some kind of normality to the animals? Because obviously I think that people are the first priority and everybody understands that. But as a facility, they've probably got animals that need to be cared for. And now they've got a lot more animals that are being brought in. How is that going to work in, in the present and the going forward? Yeah, so um, they have an amazing group of shelter staff down there. I mean, I, I cannot say enough good about the people that stuck it out and stayed in the shelter through the storm to care for the animals. I mean, to me, that's, that's way above and beyond what you're getting paid to do, but they did. And um, then, like I said, they had Connecticut Humane. They sent down a bunch of animal care staff, too. I just talked to the shelter yesterday, and they are getting back to normal. Um, their staff is coming back because they're able to get to their home. Um, a lot of their staff had to evacuate, like most other staff did or most other residents did, but they're coming back. So their staffing is getting back to normal. They're still trying to hire some more animal control officers and things like that. The biggest issue they're facing right now is their shelter is full of animals that haven't been claimed. So they're trying to work with organizations on getting these animals uh, airlifted out of New Orleans and the other shelters um, so that they can be placed in other homes throughout the country. So. Um, that's going to be ongoing for many months, I think. Um, people are coming back to their houses and finding, you know, that they're uninhabitable. If they can't live there, their animals can't live there, they're going to wind up having to surrender their animals, um, which I think is what's happening right now. And then a lot of animals that were strays were not picked up. So um, those animals are available for adoption, too. They are doing everything they possibly can um, to get those animals out of there and adopted so that they don't have to euthanize. Yeah, the space is only limited. I'm just curious. I'm just curious. Uh, you know, I when I think of pets, I think of uh, you know fish tanks possibly left behind uh, and other animals with inside the household. Um, does that does that play much of a hand uh, in this whole exercise? Oh, I'm sure it will eventually. Yeah. Um, I don't even think they've gotten to that point of going house to house. Um, okay. Some of these areas, I know some of the parishes were hit far harder than New Orleans was. And I, I can't even speak to that, but I can only imagine. I mean, we saw how bad New Orleans was. I can only imagine how bad, like, Plaquemines Parish and some of the other parishes um, really were devastated. So the need is even greater out there. And, and the Louisiana SPCA, they're the main shelter in New Orleans. They're trying to help support these, these um, satellite locations as well. So they're not only taking care of what they have, they're trying to provide support to these other shelters. So uh, these people are amazing. Now, Dan, let me ask you a question because, Heidi, I know your background, and you've kind of always been an emergency uh, kind of gal, so I imagine that you're used to this kind of chaos that that is created. But, Dan, w- was this what you signed up for when you wanted to work for A.M. <laughs> County Animal Control, or was this just one of those unique experiences that happens to people they don't expect and you just roll with the punches? I'm, I'm actually uh, used to such situations as well. Um, I worked for the Atlantic Police for almost 18 years, and Right. Uh, before that, I was a reserve officer with the city of Mason. Uh, so I've, I've been involved in, in the public safety game for about 20 years as well. So it, it, as much as you can be prepared uh, to go into a city that's uh, just been devastated by a hurricane. Uh, luckily, I had a, a slight frame of reference. I was actually in New Orleans last time six months 
uh, post Katrina. So the the damage from Katrina was significantly worse uh, than what Ida had imposed, but uh, the city's never really truly recovered from Katrina either. So you you got the compounded damage. So I I had a good idea of what we were going to be getting into, but uh, but to see the dedication of of Louisiana FCCA and their staff, that was the that was the truly awe-inspiring uh, part of the whole thing and the dedication that they're putting forth. Well, kudos to you both for what you did with this whole thing. Uh, we need to take our first break, but when we come back, I'd like to shift the conversation a little bit because listening to the news, I hear that things are just going to the birds over at Ingham <laughs> County Animal Control. So we'll talk a little bit about that and some other things. Our guest this morning is Heidi Williams from Ingham County Animal Control along with uh, Dan, Dan, I'm just going to call you Dan because I can say that. It's, it's Deputy we'll, Dan. And we'll continue right here on 1320 WILS. Now, sporting their new Chewy toys, Rick Pruz and Lee Cohen. You're listening to the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. It's 935 and we're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we're talking this morning with Heidi Williams from Ingham County Animal Control. She's the director, and we have with her Deputy Dan. And, Rick, you had one more question about New Orleans. Yeah, no, I'm just curious, Heidi. It's almost coming back home here, wondering what did it take institutionally to kind of support this effort? You know, there's was it just simply you making the decision this is going to happen, or did you have, to, did you have much administrative, um, um, you know, everybody agreed to the idea. I mean, how, how easy is this to pull off from an administration standpoint? Well, you know, fortunately, we've got an actually amazing team of people here at the shelter, and I'm not even really sure they missed us much that week, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is good. <laughs> That's really good. Um, every administrator just wants things to go on without skipping a beat in their absence, and it did. We've got great group of lead workers here at the shelter that really stepped up and, and just kept things running, and we were available by phone all week and emails and things like that, so it wasn't wasn't a problem. And we had a lot of support from the controller's office and the commissioner's office to go down and do this. So yeah, everybody, everybody uh, banded behind us and, and made it so that we could, we could go and help. Well, kudos to those that stayed behind and uh, pitched in so you could leave. So yeah, I'm sure you would uh, uh, feel quite a void. So um, on to the next one, Lee, yeah. uh, something crossing the road. Yeah. Uh, Heidi, can you explain to me what the heck is going on over there? Because I hear that you've got a bunch of chickens. That I'll let are... talk about the chickens. Okay. <laughs> um, so I, I'm going to have to talk in, in kind of vague term, uh, terms right now because we, we've got an ongoing investigation uh, regarding this case. Okay. Uh, uh, we received a complaint uh, regarding uh, some animal welfare of some some chickens that were being kept inside of a residence. And uh, one of our officers uh, responded out there and performed an initial investigation and found that there there were some uh, significant issues regarding uh, the the conditions that the animals uh, were being kept in in regards to some sanitation issues. Um, so with that in mind, uh, we executed a search warrant on two residences uh, that were located next door to, to one another, uh, located in Lansing. And we were able to remove uh, 
27 uh, birds from the residents, and they are now at the shelter. Uh, they're they're being cared for. Uh, they're they're in a nice clean environment, and we are going to be requesting uh, criminal charges from the Ingham County Prosecutor's Office in regards to the condition that the birds were kept in, and we'll be likely finishing our report this week and submitting the report to the prosecutor's office early next week. Uh, do me a favor and uh, share with the public, uh, if somebody had called on someone having chickens uh, in their home, what would be an acceptable environment to see uh, for somebody that actually is wanting to keep chickens? And then we can kind of do a comparison contrast to, to, to what you won't find acceptable. Well, basically, uh, you, you have to provide animals uh, food, water, and shelter, and medical care uh, at, a, at a very basic level. Um, if you're keeping animals inside of a house, and this, this goes for any type of animal, um, the animal cannot be living in its own waste. Um, it has to be basically uh, in, in a just a safe and sanitary environment at a basic level. That doesn't mean your house has to be spotless. Um, but I'll, I'll talk about prior cases. Uh, we've walked into to houses full of uh, 30 dogs, and the dogs have been locked in. Uh, we've had 10 dogs locked in basically a 10 by 10 room and urinating and defecating, and they, they don't even get a chance to go outside. Wow. And when, when you see those conditions, we, that's where we toss out these conditions are unsanitary. The animals cannot live here. Yeah. Uh, when the air quality in the home reaches the level where it's not safe for us to breathe, it's definitely not safe for animals to breathe. Uh, so, when when we're talking about unsanitary conditions, these are these are really quite extreme conditions. This isn't uh, that that your animal uh, urinated or defecated on the floor and it wasn't immediately cleaned up. That you know, no. that's a complete. Well, well, one question would be: Is there a certain number of chickens that one's allowed to have, both indoors or outdoors, or facility-wise here in Lansing? Or was this in an area where um, it would be allowed to have twenty chickens? So we're we're in a little bit of a, a, a different place in terms of uh, regulating numbers of animals. Uh, Ingham County used to have an ordinance, uh, part of our animal control ordinance, that prohibited prohibited the keeping of livestock in non-agricultural areas. Uh, just over the past couple months, the Attorney General issued an opinion stating that counties do not have the power to regulate uh, that issue. Okay. Therefore, it was removed from our ordinance. Okay. So in, in terms of the number of animals that, that you keep, that, that would fall to your local zoning authority, and okay. every municipality has a, has a different number on that. Um, and the violations for going over those numbers would actually fall to that that municipality to enforce. We do not have the legal authority to enforce that. So, in terms of the eyes of Ingham County Animal Control, you could you could have a dozen chickens in your house, even though Lansing may say you can only have five. Um, however, we are concerned that the animals are being properly cared for, uh, that you're keeping them in sanitary conditions and that you're not allowing them to run at large. Um, we can enforce the animal welfare portion of it, and we can enforce a livestock running at large. So if your chickens get out of your house and go running down the road, 
uh, then we can deal with that. So let me ask, uh, historically, is there any case that's similar to this? I mean, making an impromptu chicken coop at the uh, Ingham County Animal Control, uh, I don't know that there was a file you could pull and say, you know, here's how you set up an impromptu chicken coop. Maybe maybe you do. How do you well, deal with that? We have a very large um, pen, fenced-in pen, that we use for stray dogs to get exercise. Um, and when we get a large amount of birds like this or other farm animals, we do have the ability to care for them. Um, for, you know, however long we need to. Uh But in cases like this, too, we can also get these animals out into foster, which is um, a big help for us. So um, we we try to do that as much as possible. But we do have the ability to care for them here. Sure, sure. And historically, have there been essentially other major chicken cases? Well, um, I've only been with the agency for a little under two years, but... uh, the, the officers have told stories in cases where we have taken in a uh, hundred or more pigeons mm-hmm. uh, from an apartment. Mm. Okay. So large, large bird seizures uh, have been a thing here in Ingham County in the past. It's not something uh, we do every day or even every year, but uh, it is a reality. So we did take uh, 61 chickens um, in July of this year, along with 18 horses off of the farm. So, um, we are seeing an uptick in farm animals um, seizures, and I, I'm concerned um, that if you know the local municipalities don't start enforcing their ordinances, um, that we are going to see more of this because everybody thinks it's fun to get a goat for your backyard so you can make cheese and whatever and have some chickens. Well, then pretty soon it just gets out of control. They don't know how to properly care for the animals. Um, the animals are running at large. They're creating noise problems and odor problems for the neighbors and then welfare gets involved, we get involved. So I'm, I'm afraid that we're going to see an uptick in, in cases like this. Yeah, the last thing you want is a goat loose, that's for sure. They'll eat anything. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Yep. Least, but you won't have to cut your grass, so you do have that <laughs> well, advantage. That. <laughs> <laughs> now, Heidi, let me ask this, and if you can't answer, it's fine. I understand because of the investigation. But usually when I think of chickens being seized, the first thought I have is that is there a fighting ring? That's a part no. of this whole thing. Is no, that... this has nothing to do with that. No. Okay. This is just uh, yeah, keeping them indoors and not having anything really inappropriate. I can tell you that the way birds are, because we have our own bird department, we don't have chickens at the store. But that's one of the more laborious uh, areas when it comes to cleaning the bottom of cages. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, and, and when they go to the bathroom, it's, you know, it's, it's particularly messy. Uh, yeah. So it, it's something that can pile up pretty darn quickly, I would assume, and yeah. without proper maintenance, uh, it could get really bad. Yeah, yeah. So, well, hats off to you guys for uh, being on it and uh, taking the necessary actions to respond to that. Um, I imagine this will be conversations for uh, years to come for those who got involved that are kind of unfamiliar with these territories. Yeah, I think definitely. <laughs> well, uh, it like you said, it sounds like a lot of municipalities are going to have to get their act together because we've talked to a lot of people who are interested in more home farming and and things like that. So I do imagine that this is going to be 
an issue for you to deal with. When it comes to your overall capacity, uh, how much does this impact your ability to do what you typically do day to day? Uh, or are you needing to expand your group of fosters and other options in order to keep up with all of the intake that might be going on? Yeah, we can always use more fosters. Um, what fosters do, it's kind of twofold. They not only free up space at the shelter for animals that can't go into foster, but they also give those animals a chance to kind of decompress in a home. And the fosters can tell us a lot more about the animal and, you know, say it's, it's little quirks or it's likes or dislikes, and it makes them more adoptable. Um, so fosters, we, we love our fosters. Um, as far as, you know, the intakes with fowl, we're actually going to be um, building a small barnyard area um, off of a storage shed in our back gate, back gated lot, because we we definitely need more space for this type of call that we that we're going to get more of. So we're going to see, like I said, more uh, chickens, ducks, turkeys, things like that. So we need the ability to house them in other locations. So we are looking at expanding that. Um, so, you know, when we get a, a large-scale seizure like this, it does impact us a lot. Um, staff has to spend a lot more time cleaning, um, and uh, chickens are labor-intensive. We need to take a quick break, but after the break, we'll continue the conversation. We're speaking this morning with Heidi Williams, as well as Deputy Dan from Ingham County Animal Control, and we'll be back right here on 1320 WILS. Now back to two guys who are rendered useless if you scratch their belly. You're listening to the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show with Rick Pruse and Lee Cohen on 1320 WILS. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and we've been talking this morning all about some of the more interesting things going on at Ingham County Animal Control with the director, Heidi Williams, as well as with Deputy Dan, uh, who has been at her side in helping with a lot of these issues. Heidi, I'd like to shift gears a little bit and go into some of the more traditional subjects that we typically talk about with you. One of the things that I, I would like for you to take a bow on, not as if you already haven't earned that bow uh, with what we've talked about thus far, but I was looking at some of your statistics and just seeing the incredible rate of improvement in terms of animal placements taking place at Ingham County. I saw some numbers in the early 2010s where it was, there was one year, it was less than 50% of animals. And now as I look at 2018, 19, 20, the numbers are 83, 84, 86% of animals being placed. What is going on? Have we just done a better job as a community? Is it something that you all have done with programs? Uh, I, I don't understand it, all, but kudos to you because those are great improvements. Yeah, we've been really working on getting our live release rate up. Um, if all continues on track, we should probably be about 88% this year, um, give or take. And, and it, I guess it's important to note that includes animals that are brought to us and surrendered for euthanasia by their owners. So some shelters don't have to take those animals in, but we do. Um, it's a service that we do provide to the community. If the animal can be rehabilitated or treated or adopted, we'll try to convince the owners to turn the animal over to us. If it can't be, which it isn't always possible, then we do euthanize the animal for the owner. 
Um, so, yeah, what we've done is um, largely, largely uh, kudos to the staff because we have an amazing group of staff here. They're dedicated. We work closely with a lot of transfer partners, other rescues and shelters. Um, if an animal sits here for a couple of weeks and they're not getting a lot of interest, we try to transfer them to another rescue or shelter where they can get a different audience. And a lot of times they get adopted. And we do the same thing for other shelters. You know, if they reach out to us and say, hey, can you take this dog? Because we're just not getting a lot of interest. We take them and normally within a week they're adopted. So um, the, the shelter transfer network is really kind of an impressive thing. Um, I also think that a big part of why we've jumped from uh, 78% all the way up to almost 88% in two years is our fear-free sheltering program. Um, fear-free is a game changer for us. You walk in the shelter, you don't hear dogs barking. Um, cats are sleeping in their their cages, happy. Animals are, are happy. Um, they're happy, they're healthy, and uh, they're highly adaptable then. Um, it, it's because of why? The fear-free animal sheltering practices that we've adopted. Um, okay. And if you look it up, it's fearfree.com, I believe. Um, and all of our shelter staff goes through this training. And we've changed the way we do adoptions. You come in anymore and you, you don't get to walk back and just interact with the dogs. Um, there's a TV in the lobby that you get to look at the dogs and meet with an adoption counselor. And when you want to meet one, we bring the dog to you in a meet and greet room. It's a more controlled environment. That way the dogs aren't having people going back and forth all day long. They don't get rest. They get aggravated. I know I get grumpy when I don't get a lot of sleep, <laughs> and they're the same way. So, um, And then enrichment. Uh, we hired an enrichment and behavior coordinator, and she is worth her weight in gold. Um, she has brought some amazing programs to us. She focuses on the animal's mental health and well-being. Um, our care staff takes care of their physical needs. Our veterinary takes care of their medical needs. So we've really kind of broken it down and made it a little bit more granular, the care instead of care as a clump. It's now care in different groups. So we have different groups of people looking at different needs for the animals, and it's made a big difference. So uh, basically, instead of focusing on, you know, trying to push animals out as much, it's a much more, let's provide a more balanced or calm or adjustable dog, cat, and then uh, put the person that's coming in in a better position with that animal so that it's a more successful meet and greet. Is that exactly. is that fair enough? Yep, that's exactly it. Okay. All right. Well, that, it sounds... And, and, and part of that, uh, bottom line, uh, we should talk about this a little bit, is that wouldn't have been nearly as easily accomplished in the old facility. Yeah, it's exactly no, it would not going. have So, no, so a, a, common, a combination of events coming together that that uh, brought it all together. Yeah, it yeah. probably made the whole chicken situation easier, too, because yeah. having all that extra space can make yeah, a sure. big difference. Absolutely. And the other yep. thing is is uh, it doesn't take anyone uh, a lot of effort to just do a tour of uh, your facility to quickly realize that, you know, your, your thoughts that you just presented as far as uh, making it uh, a stress-free environment uh, is actualized by everything about what you built in the design of that facility, you know, from uh, extra rooms uh, where you can interact with, uh, extra glass separating from where they're at, where you can just walk by and see them, but not actually go in and, and, and visit the dogs, I noticed. Um, so it, it, it just seemed like um, a lot of thought had been going into getting to the point where you're at right now. 
Yeah, definitely. Animal sheltering has changed a ton in the last 20 years um, for the better, a lot better. And we're taking those changes and we're running with them. So, like I said, I think an 88% uh, live release rate is pretty darn good for a municipal shelter, and I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. Um, for sure. I'm very, it should be. Yeah. Well, now, Heidi, the question is, how do you pay for all of it? Because the truth is everything you've described today does have a money element to the whole thing. It didn't stop you from anything that you've done, but at the same time, you got to keep raising it. So how are you going about doing that? You know, so we're really, really fortunate, and, and that was uh, demonstrated to me and reinforced even more after our trip to Louisiana. Um, our community just loves animals, and they support animals, and they support us greatly. Um, the building was supported by a millage. Um, a lot of our positions are included in that millage as well. Um, we are amazingly well-funded by the county and the, the residents, and this is what you get when you fund a shelter. Um, you get these types of services and you get this type of quality. And I really cannot thank um, our community enough for everything that they do for us. I mean, we put out a call for peanut butter and we are drowning in peanut butter. We put out a call for, you know, towels and we get just a ton of towels. I mean, we, it's awesome. It's absolutely amazing. You know, I come from law enforcement where <laughs> it's not necessarily the, the case all the time. And um, this is just, I, I still am just shocked when we get a check in the mail from somebody for, you know, enrichment. They send us a thousand dollar check for enrichment. It's like, what? <laughs> People really do this? Hmm. So it's, it's pretty cool. It sure is. Now, when it comes to upcoming events uh, or people just wanting to help with the effort, what can they do? I mean, do you need volunteers? Do you have fundraisers coming up? What's going on over there? So we are actually running an open house tomorrow um, from 11 to 3. So that'd be the uh, 25th. I'm not sure when this airs, but um, we're going to offer tours through the shelter. We're going to have some uh, fun events for kids to do. we got a bounce house. Um, we've got some pet vendors that are coming um, to hand out things or provide information about resources um, for other, you know, pet supplies and, and equipment in the community. Um, we also always are looking for volunteers and fosters. Um, information on how to do that is, is on our website. And you will see some uh, fundraisers coming up in the very near future. We have a new community outreach manager. Uh, named Julie Hill, and you'll see her out and about in the news, and she's uh, amazing, and she's going to be working on some fundraising projects coming up this winter. Well, Heidi Williams, thank you so much for all that you do. Uh, take a bow, because you certainly deserve it. And Deputy Dan, thank you so much for all of your efforts. Uh, we appreciate all that you do as well. Uh, unfortunately, Rick, we don't have time to talk more, but it's been a great conversation. We'll have another one next weekend. So all of you, please, please tune in and listen. And for all of you, have a great weekend, and uh, we'll talk again next week. And please, please take good care of your pets. Have a great week, everybody.